0: joining for this episode of the Tech TechSpective podcast. Uh, my guest this week is uh, Mr. Jack Fisher. So Jack, if you could uh, introduce yourself and give a little bit of your background. I think everyone will be very interested.
1: You bet. And uh, thanks for having me, Tony. I really appreciate the opportunity to be on here. Uh, as far as my background, I grew up in the Air Force, flying airplanes, uh, grew up in Strike Eagles, uh, F-15Es, and then was a test pilot on all sorts of things. Uh, up to the, including the uh, Raptor, the F-22, uh, went to do some time in D.C., and then I went to the space program as an astronaut for about nine years. Uh, got to fly to the space station in 2017, uh, was up there for about five months, and then went back to the Air Force and uh, helped that transition to the Space Force, uh, from Air Force Space Command to the Space Force. Uh, retired last year, and i ended up back in houston working for a company called intuitive machines and we are building the lander to get back to get the united states back to the moon uh launching in the first quarter next year
0: all right that that is super interesting on 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 a few different levels number one i did not realize that either you or intuitive machines are in houston so i'm actually in houston as well i'm in the woodlands oh no kidding cool um, so that, that part, uh, is, is interesting. Um, I, I, guess one of the things that, that, I mean, so I, I love everything about, uh, the space program. I love everything about, uh, everything about the air force really. Um, and so, you know, so we could, you know, we could probably talk for the next three hours, but, you know, I've got to do <laughs> later. Um, but yeah, you know, so I, I guess the, the first thing I, I, I'm really kind of interested in is, um, you know, so you're flying, you, know, you you, 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 you grew up in the Air Force, you're flying F-15s. Um, what kind of sparked the transition or how did, how do you go about saying, you know what, I think I'm going to join the space program. I think I'd like to be an astronaut.
1: Oh, you know, that kind of preceded, uh, flying. So I was six, um, and, and wearing a, a very fashionable crush blue velvet jumpsuit, because that was sexy in the seventies. And, uh, visited grandpa down here at, at Johnson space center and they had that big old, uh, Saturn V laying on its belly. Um, I saw that thing and thought that if, you know, humanity can put together s- something so incredible, uh, I wanted, I wanted to be a part of it and I caught the bug really young. Uh, so I always wanted to fly and I did, but, uh, the, the long game and, and, and my, long-term goal was always to get to the space program um, once I got there once I flew it was okay how can I keep that domain safe and that's why we went back to the space force um, had some some family uh, constraints there and uh, that that kind of drove the retirement but now I get a blend all of that together in, in trying to get us back to the moon. And, and so I think I've always had the bug. I've always been an explorer at heart and space is really that, that last frontier that, that captured my imagination at a very young age and I've always just been
0: chasing it. Okay. Very cool. So you're at intuitive machines. Um, I was not familiar with it before, but you know, doing doing you know research for for this podcast and, and looking at it, I'm like, all right, it looks like there's a lot of cool stuff going on there, and you guys are are really kind of breaking a lot of barriers um, in terms of commercial space exploration, which seems to be uh you know that that's that's the end thing you know <laughs> with the SpaceX's and the Virgin uh, Space Absolutely. all those other things. Um, <clears throat> but you know with a specific focus it seems uh, at least for now on the moon and lunar transportation so i guess can you tell me a little bit about sort of the the the, the origin story of intuitive machines or or you know what's what's uh, you know what's the company mission absolutely well
1: you know it started as a think tank and um, my dad used to call things fart fart in a dust storm uh, they were all over the place you know they were they made I think, 25 inventions in the first two years um, in medical and UAVs, just all over the map. Um, and it was started by two guys out of uh, Johnson Space Center. So uh, Steve Altimus is the uh, CEO. He was the deputy director of JSC. Um, and then Tim Crane, uh, one of the uh, senior, senior engineers there. And they wanted to take what they had learned in human spaceflight, all those methodologies, how to make, you know, tackle intractable, impossible problems and apply it to a wider problem set. Um, that was the first five years of the company. It started in 2013. Uh, and then about the, the end of 2017, um, NASA came out with the Commercial Lunar Payload Service Program, um, which is like Commercial crew or commercial cargo program that they've done in the past uh, to instead of doing a NASA mission to go back to the moon, paid commercial companies to do it faster, cheaper, see what happens. Um, And they they went all in. And that's when the company took off, because we have a lot of uh, very passionate people. But it's when you're when you get to eat ribeye steak every day, you know you can get some incredible talent because there are no Brussels spouts in this job. You get to work on something that's awesome, that inspires you every day. And so we have an incredible team. Uh, they are running fast. Uh, like you said, our mission as of 2018 was to, be, to basically ignite this lunar economy and to build the infrastructure we needed to do that. So I'm sitting in our control room. I'll... Uh, I'll give you a little spin tour here. Um, We've turned on a bunch of lights, but you can see basically our control room. Um, You can also see the moonlight at the top. Very cool. Um, This is where we're going to control things from. Uh, We have a a global network of dishes that we've contracted with uh, in order to communicate with the spacecraft. Um, We go to Ellington field here in in Houston we test our engine there I think we're up to about 53 hot fires on our main motor so we're able to rapidly evolve it um and and just an amazing team that's fed by the local community and and really making strides uh so as far as what we are today uh we are the the favorites in getting to the moon uh first Uh, for the eclipse program and our aim is to build the infrastructure out so that the architecture is in place for the entire uh, cislunar economy not just our mission
0: okay so you're on track now uh for uh a, a q1 2022 launch correct of the of the im1 uh to the moon um I, I, it's a two-part question. Uh, one is sort of what's the overarching mission of that, other, aside from you know getting there uh, and, and, and being first. And with this IM1, with the, with the lander, um, one of the things I'm very curious about is like, is there is there a, a plan for or a capability to bring it back or are we just putting a bunch of stuff on the moon?
1: So our, we are just putting it on the moon. Um, so we're testing out a lot of technologies. Um, the end goal is to begin to bring stuff back, uh, but you're always going to have some stuff that stays on the moon right now. One of the big problems we have a, it's hard, uh, landing on the moon is hard. Uh, we put people in the vehicles, uh, back in the sixties as high end computers that could navigate the bad terrain. Uh, if you ever read the story on Neil Armstrong, uh, and Buzz landing, uh, see a tranquility that they were planning on landing on was very uh, had boulders everywhere, so they had to extend. Um, our landers that that did land the unmanned landers uh, before basically would just go straight down, and you hope for the best that you didn't land on a rock. Uh, we got lucky as a country five out of seven times it worked. Uh, Russia is somewhere in the 20% range, but um, getting that technology mastered is key. Uh, And we're gonna do that on our, hopefully our first mission and second mission. Then you have to survive the night. So you have to have the ability to keep things warm and running past when you're in shadow. And then um, bringing that technology home is the next step. So, it's kind of a, a phased approach. Uh, it is our long-term goal to bring back regolith and things that we find and resources that there are on the moon, uh, but not for our first mission or second mission.
0: Okay. Um, the second mission, though, uh, again, you know, kind of going through the information, uh, uh, you know, on the uh, Intuitive Machines website, uh, the second mission uh i am to plan for later in 2022 i don't know if it's uh you know i I remember if it said what quarter if it's just second half or whatever but sometime in 2022 yep q4 and and slated as you know uh ostensibly the first object to land at the south pole of the moon so i'm curious about that which is uh, again a two-part question which is number one uh, why has nobody else, uh, landed at the South pole of the moon prior to now? And number two, why are we interested in landing there now? What's the, why do you want to go there?
1: Great, great questions. Um, we care
0: because, uh, the South pole is where
1: most of the water ice is, um, in deep craters, you've heard of like Shackleton crater. And, um, that's where, when we go with Artemis, that's where we're going to build the base because uh, the most resources that we know we care about are there as far as why nobody's done it before, because it's hard. Um, So if you think of an orbit as like a plate and when you tilt the plate, that's inclination, Um, to change inclination of an orbital path is really expensive in gas. And so to land at the poles, we have to rotate our our inclination of that, that trajectory a lot uh, the good news is we have great motors. Um, our rocket engines that we've developed here, are uh, are they got some kick. Uh, so we're able to do that, and we have a very robust navigation system that can get into that polar orbit and get us on the ground uh, down towards the South Pole.
0: Okay. I, I was going to say, I yeah, can't see because my head's in the way, but I've actually got the moon. Nice. That's great. awesome. So I can just... You know, pull pull that up and look and say, okay, so you're going to land here. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and and also, I, I was vaguely familiar with this, but like you 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 mentioned Artemis is like is that the official name that we're going with for like the 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 upcoming lunar base, lunar facility kind of thing?
1: You bet. So that's that's NASA's program. Um, they're working in conjunction with uh, quite a few countries, but that is the large scale international effort to get us back to the moon with humans
0: well okay so now i'm now i'm wondering um did nasa come up with that first or did dan weir come up with that first
1: i believe nasa did um have you read it, Artemis? I, I haven't read it but uh, very good book we, we've been calling it artemis for for quite a while i think i think dan might have just uh copied that
0: i mean it's, it's, it, it is a very good book i, I recommend it but uh uh yeah that's interesting. Um uh, so you know what some of the other things I saw you know related to I think the the IM2 mission uh talked about the ice drill and you you mentioned the uh you know the water at the at the pole and there's also something about the Micronova hopper rover. So what can you tell me about either of those things?
1: Well so you know you've you've seen a lot of little moon buggy type rovers um and those are fine. Um like I mentioned not not much can survive the night without some form of you know radiation or or some form of heat to keep it warm um so these rovers end up not being able to go very far um what we wanted to be able to do there also there's some rough terrain on the moon and we want to see in those areas that nobody's ever been able to see or go before so the hopper is basically a little spacecraft or drone that we can um, lower down from our main ship and then basically it takes off and can go into a crater. And on the, our second mission, we're also uh, gonna have a, a Nokia 4G LTE uh, demonstration where the lander can talk to our rover um, via that LTE. Um, and so we can go into a crater, we can get data, we can tell it you know, back to the mother ship, it can zap it to earth and it can come out of the crater before it gets too cold. So we can hop around and get a, a, a lot more data uh, in places that a rover could never go. And the thing that's beautiful is it's the same technology that we're using on our big uh, lander. So it's we're just building a smaller version of what we've already built.
0: Interesting. You know, a while back, um, I I'd did some interviews um, i want to say it was related to a nat geo thing but they they were doing you remember um when the the the, the thai uh, soccer team uh, the kids got trapped in the in the caves and oh yeah yeah a huge rescue mission and and, and all that um, they had they did a thing where they like used drones to uh, drones and like lidar to basically 3D map the entire uh, cave system. And I was like, you know, so as you were talking, I was thinking, well, it might be interesting to do something like that with the moon caves and like build out a whole 3D map of like, well, what do these caves look like?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a little bit harder when, you know, there's, it's a vacuum, so you don't have any air and we can't have the the cool little uh, helicopters and, and drones like we have here, but um, it's the same principle and that's exactly what we want to do.
0: Um, so are you, you know, I I mean, I know where Ellington is. I know where Johnson is. Are you, are you in that area? You bet. So we have, uh, two facilities now. Um,
1: one is at it's, it's the Boeing building on Bay Area Boulevard here in, in Houston. Um, and then the other one is at Ellington, um, right next, or, you know, we were basically the first tenants of the spaceport. Um, and the new facility that we're starting here in a couple months is right next to it. So it's literally a hundred feet from our old facility is going to be our new facility. And that's going to combine everything, give us increased production cap capacity to, to build like four landers at once. Uh, and, and also some, some other capabilities for other customers that we're uh, trying to onboard.
0: Okay. When you, when you, when you launch a are you launching or are you like hitching a ride with uh, nasa or spacex or somebody and and b where are you launching from
1: we are launching from the cape on a uh, spacex uh, falcon 9 uh 5500 is the is the type and and um we have been working with spacex to you know have multiple uh, launch deals so um we, we bet on them, um, and and they've been good partners for us. Uh, one of our competitors, uh, Astrobotics, uh, so in the first six contract wins for Clips, we've won two, Astrobotics has won two, and then a company named Mastin and one named Firefly have each won one. Um, us and, and Astrobotics are kind of towards, you know, we won some of the early ones, so first to fly, but astrobotics mission is on a vulcan and they're having some issues with the vulcan so we're we're pretty happy we we partnered up with with spacex there to give us a ride and and honestly the the launch market is flooded right now with all sorts of companies uh, trying to perfect their wares um whereas the lunar market there's it's it's the wild west and so we're 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 focusing where we can make the biggest difference and and getting a ride with spacex
0: okay um jumping back a little bit to the concept of artemis and and this actually kind of ties into a different question i have which is kind of what the the long-term goal but um I'm going to have to go back and do some more research now on the, on the, the NASA Artemis project, you know? So it's like, I, I mean, I've, I've been aware that we've talked about, you know, that we want to go back to the moon and, you know, and, and all of these things. So I, I'm, I'm tangentially aware that these things are happening, but I haven't really like researched to what extent, um, or what the goal is other than, I mean, I'm, I'm all for going just to say we did. <laughs> I mean, I know this is a real expensive joyride, but, uh, I, I think it's, I, I mean, I think, I think if you look back at the original moon missions, it's like it it, it just drove so much other innovation and 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 thought uh, you know, in in the world in general. It's like, you know, did did we actually like get something from the moon that was all you know, that was that valuable? I mean I, I don't really know, but it's the it's the it's the process of getting there and getting back, I think is is where the value is. Um yeah. But in terms of Artemis, like, what is the is the long-term idea to set? Well, you haven't read the book. Is the long-term idea <laughs> something that is like a a lunar base where humans can be? Uh,
1: so yes, um, I would say that the the there's two huge benefits from the Apollo program and our early space program. Um, one of which was the technology spin-offs. Um, modern medicine, uh, composites uh, or not composites, but materials research, um, guidance, navigation and control. Uh, there are countless areas that were forever changed because we were pushing the bounds of hard problems. The other one is inspiration. Um, I remember uh, I was going to apply for the space program. I was testing F-22s at the time. I'm um, a brief. They found out I was applying. We talked about it a bit. I'm like, well, who in here was inspired by the space program? Every single person in the room raised their hand. So the most incredible fighter ever built by man, I gotta give it a little roar, was designed by the men and women who were inspired by the space program. It is. It's that inspiration is is hard to quantify the value, but it's real. The other thing that we have to think about is that the earth won't last forever. And at some point we do need to be a multi-planetary species. If you ever listen to Elon, that's all he talks about. That's all Bezos talks about. That's why they got into space. Because they want us to have another option and to grow and evolve and be better as humans. And so that's the end goal of the space program. If you take that down a notch, um, Artemis's short-term goal, so this was in the last four years, um, President Trump was trying to get us uh, to the moon by 2024. Um, that has probably, nobody's really announced it yet, but that will slip probably to 2028. Um, and we are the bots than boot, so robots than people. Um, we're the precursors to get that technology refined, get it down, and then if you've heard of the Human Landing System, HLS, so there were three big companies that were vying for that. Um, SpaceX, uh, a a large consortium of smaller companies led by Dynetics, and then a national team with Blue Origin, Lockheed Martin, and, and Northrop Grumman. Those three teams, uh, just had a down select, and they only picked SpaceX. So that is under protest right now. I believe they'll make the decision in August. But then they're going forward with um, on Starship. If you're familiar with that uh, vehicle, uh, creating a a ride to the surface of the moon on Starship.
0: Is there? It, to your knowledge, is there any part of this plan long term that would have us build a basically a launch platform on the moon? Like the ability to, you know, like it, we, we waste a lot of fuel just getting out of Earth's atmosphere.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Having a, a the ability to have a fuel depot on on the moon where you basically load up and then go to Mars and then go into the solar system. Just as you said, you save so much in uh, in all that velocity that you burn just to get to the moon, and as we get smarter and better of cultivating the resources that the lunar surface and the moon itself has to offer, um, that's another big draw, where a commercial business like us can actually make money, and so that's where you get the most powerful <laughs> weapon in the in the U.S. arsenal is is. Capitalism and entrepreneurial entrepreneurial spirit of of our commercial businesses. If we can find a way to make money, we're going to make it happen.
0: Which uh, yeah, I, I'm all for. I was going to say though, and and I, this this might be uh, outside of your scope or above your pay grade or however you want to look at it. But uh, uh, you know, I think there's also you know we're we're going to eventually come upon the question of you know who can really claim ownership you know you know it's like if if we're there and china's there and russia's there and everyone's there and we're all like claiming parts of this of this of this you know satellite orbiting earth um you know i i think you know we, we might have some uh you know interesting uh economic and legal battles over that you are
1: absolutely right that is a uh, that's a like i said right now it's the wild west um there are efforts underway um, we do have treaties from the past that have tried to address those issues. Um, since there were so few people there, it didn't really matter. Um, now, as we go forward, if you've heard of the Artemis Accords, uh, this is something that our previous administrator, uh, um started, uh, and a large number of companies have our country companies, yeah. countries have signed on and and exactly as you're saying how do you define that what are the norms of space what is the political ramifications for who owns where you land how far out does that extend what about the mineral rights the resources all of those things they are still they still need to be worked on well
0: and i and i think you know i i don't know that we'll get there uh, in the next 10 20 years or maybe even my lifetime but you know if you look at science fiction in general it seems like there's only two there's only two pathways one is like a complete dystopia <laughs> where it's a, a dystopian hellscape where everything's bad and the other is uh basically countries don't exist anymore <clears throat> there it's a it's a it's a global coalition um and, and when you, you look at you know, Mars, the, the Nat Geo series and Mars, the, the, like there, there, it's always, it's, it's always a, a, a multinational organization of, of space programs that work together to accomplish these things, which in my opinion, just makes more sense. I mean, I look at like, we have these rovers on Mars and then China landed a rover on Mars and it's like, well, that seems like a waste of time and resources. Why didn't we just work together and do one Rover where we, you know, cooperate and and work together.
1: No, you're, you know, you're right. I, I lived on the International Space Station. I, I did my training with the Russians. I flew with the Russians. You know, I had an Italian. I had a, a Frenchman. You know, it, it almost sounds like a start of a bad joke, but that's life aboard the International Space Station. It's the greatest example of international cooperation in the history of of humanity. Um, and that's where we should drive to get to. Um, unfortunately, humanity's not ready yet. Right. And, and we have to evolve um, before we can work together like you're saying. And right now, unfortunately, we're not there.
0: But uh, I, I have noticed, uh, uh, and I've, I've discussed this in a number of interviews, um, that the scientific community— tends to be more global like sort of regardless of the geopolitical uh friction that exists you know Mm -hmm. talking about climate change or space exploration or whatever like you know russia and the united states might be at odds you know politically and 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 such but at the scientific community level people are still kind of you know changing notes under the table and saying all right well here's what we found what did you find
1: (laughs) you bet and and i do think you know when you're when you're Goal is knowledge and (laughs) finding answers to those hard problems. Yeah, the the borders don't matter as much. Um, Unfortunately, that's not society as a whole yet. Uh, I definitely agree that's where we need to get because if we are to truly explore and be better, uh, it needs to be something we do together.
0: Right. Um, Yeah, you mentioned. You know, Elon Musk, SpaceX, I mean, you know, like at the at the sort of like uh, macro level, like everything he does is about getting to Mars. Doesn't matter yep. if he's building Teslas. It doesn't matter if he's, you know, giving, yep. you know, hit, letting letting NASA hitch a ride to the space station. It's all a means to an end. It's all either it's all either generating revenue to get to Mars or it's testing out technology to to get to Mars or both. Um, you know, so uh, you know that is that is his singular focus. Um, realistically, what do you think the timeline is for a manned mission to Mars?
1: I think we got to get to the moon first. Um, the two big things that we need to, to perfect before Mars is a real, uh, it, before Mars can be a reality, are uh, propulsion technology, because chemical uh, engines can get you off the planet great. Uh, But they're, it's called specific impulse. It's like gas mileage for rocket engines. Um, They're like 300, 400, if it's a really good one. We need stuff in the tens of thousands, like, uh, you know, electric ion, uh, hull thrusters, things that are very, very efficient. They're like little butterfly farts. You know, they're not putting out a lot of force but in space it doesn't matter because if the butterfly farts in the same direction for long enough, it gets going really fast. So you can get to Mars in a month as opposed to six months with a year and a half in between of windows to come home. Um, That's one thing. Another one kind of associated is the ability to protect ourselves from radiation. Um, Right now, uh, we don't have a solution for that for humans. Um, much less the technology. We're getting better with flying commercial off-the-shelf stuff outside the Van Allen belts, our our normal protection, um, just through good engineering. Instead of having one super fancy radiation-hardened card, we'll have four, and they'll talk to each other, and they'll vote, and they'll it redundantly manage the system uh, in a more efficient way that drives costs down. That's great. We haven't figured out how to do that with humans yet, so we have to figure out a way to shield them or speed up the journey so that they're not getting such a massive radiation dose and they're, you know, have terminal cancer by the time they land. So those are the two that, as we go to the lunar surface um, and all of the technology that we're building, we're taking a hack at that that radiation one. Obviously, we have to. Ah, uh, to survive on the moon, that's something we can knock out. Uh, being more efficient with with propulsion. Uh, right now, the Starship, for example, has a, a pretty aggressive scheme of refuelings uh, to make it possible to go to the moon and land. Um, we got to get more efficient. It might, it, and the hope is that that will drive those those developments in propulsion that can that can really get us to Mars.
0: Okay. All very cool. Um, and uh, and yeah, uh, I, again, I knew of some of this stuff, you know, in a kind of a theoretical sense, but I didn't know that we're, you know, basically six months out, you know, six, seven, eight, whatever, you know, just, you know, less than a year out from uh, actually, you know, doing it. So uh, I will definitely be uh, looking forward to seeing, you know, how that how that first mission goes for you guys. Um, you know, since I am in the Houston area, uh, I would, I, I mean, hell, I'd love to come, you know, check out the facility sometime.
1: Come on down. I was just going to invite you. Come on down, see our stuff. It, it's kind of cool. You know, you'll, you'll in the op center, you know, this is the coolest room. Uh, but if you head over to our production facility and I'll take you around both, you know, and you see all these things that you look at it and you go, that's going to be on the surface of the moon. It's just cool to even think that a little company with 120 people um, is putting together something that, if you think about it, there's only three entities that have ever landed on the moon, China, Russia, and the United States of America, that's it. Lots of people have tried, lots of people have failed. Hopefully we're not gonna add to the failure list, but uh, we're certainly uh, in a unique position to uh, make some history and, and we'd love to have you down.
0: All right. Well, I will. Uh, I'll reach out because, you know, like I say, you're just you know, basically around the corner. Uh, my, my son. My son actually uh, goes to Texas A&M Galveston, so I have to kind of you know drive back and forth on that on that route a couple times a year at least.
1: Very cool. Well, come on down. We'll we'll show you around. All right. Well,
0: um, thank you very much for joining me. Uh, like I said, this was very, very cool, very interesting. Uh, and, uh, I'm, I'm always down for talking about anything about, uh, you know, air force fighter craft and, uh, space exploration. (laughs) Sounds good. All right. Thank you. All right. Thanks. I appreciate you investing your time to listen to the podcast, but I also invite you to engage on social media Uh, please go like our Facebook page and follow at Techspective on Twitter and Instagram. You can feel free to let me know what you like, let me know what you don't like, let me know if you love it, let me know if it sucks, and uh, let me know what products you'd like to see reviewed or what uh, questions you'd like to see answered in future posts.